This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events. From somewhere in the desert, between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Fairy Tales. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty! The only thing we have to fear is fear itself! Sooner or later, though. You always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas, alternative media for discerning minds. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, make yourself at home. I want to thank all our members for your loyalty and support. Tonight, you're in for a treat. Our special guest is a veteran of this show, and we'll discuss his latest book, after Disclosure, The People's Guide to Life After Contact. Richard Dolan will be with us shortly. To listen to tonight's full show, become a member. You'll receive instant access to all of our material. And remember, Veritas survives on your voluntary subscriptions only. No sponsorship equals no censorship. The next time you spend $7.95, think about how much value you receive. That's what you pay per month as a Veritas member. And you can stream or download all our shows, hundreds of them, all in CD audio quality, Veritas TV, and our very unique Manticore Forum, where you can interact with enlightened people around the world and discuss everything that matters. 
Just go to the subscribe link of our website, veritasshow.com, and take Veritas with you. You can also download our latest show via iTunes. During these days of uncertainty, the uncensored truth is priceless. Stop waiting. Subscribe today. And if you don't have that much space in your hard drive or have a slow internet connection, or you are a collector, you can purchase our futuristic 8GB metal case USB drive with Seasons 1 or 2, including bonus material. Go to the Veritas store for more information and find out everything that is included. And don't forget, get your MMS right from us. It's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Go to the past shows and listen to Jim Humble's interview for more information. And I have a few announcements and some news. First, I want to congratulate my friend Patrice from Switzerland on his great information machine blog, which you can access by visiting our blog where there's a link or directly by going to information-machine.blogspot.com. Information Machine is just turning one year old. Patrice has been a great fan and contributor of this show since the beginning and he promotes Veritas and other great sources of information that you won't get in the mainstream. So Patrice, congratulations on the one year anniversary of your blog, Information Machine. And I hope you can continue growing and spreading the truth worldwide. And the Veritas transcripts are back. We just added Dr. Paul Laviolette's Secrets of Anti-Gravity Propulsion Show, which as you may know, was a classic where we were disconnected 24 times. That goes to show you the amount of material included in that show. And now you can read it too, especially those who are hearing impaired. We are adding more transcribers who will receive a Veritas subscription. So if you are 100% qualified to transcribe, visit the free subscription link of our website for more information. And I waited until today, Friday, May the 6th, 2011, to add this portion of the show to see how the Osama Bin Laden news would evolve from Sunday, May 1st to now. You can't help but look at the numbers once again. President Obama announced the killing of Osama Bin Laden to the world on Sunday, May the 1st, 2011 at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. May 1st was also the day when Germany announced that Adolf Hitler was dead, leading to the end of the Allied campaign in Europe during World War II. However, I don't think there is any ending in sight to the US campaign. To the contrary, a week before Bin Laden's death was announced by President Barack Obama, Sheikh Mohammed warned that if Osama Bin Laden was captured or killed, Al-Qaeda would unleash a, quote, nuclear hellstorm of retaliation against NATO countries. Again, this was announced the week before. The population is growing tired of these wars. But in order to keep the war machine going, they need to regain support from the population. To continue our entanglement without finding and killing Osama bin Laden would not rally the population once again. How do you do that? First, you say you killed bin Laden. Then, retaliation occurs. And we have another excuse to continue and perhaps initiate new conflicts. Now, what I'm telling you here is simply my opinion 
and analysis based on the facts being presented to us. In the last 10 years, Osama bin Laden has been reported dead nine times. You can look at this week's Veritas comic strip to know exactly who and when it was reported each time. It's been five days since President Obama announced the killing of bin Laden. What has happened so far? First, they knew very well that since bin Laden has been reported dead so many times, they must release video footage or still images of this event. At first, they made overtures that they would. Days later, President Obama appeared on the 60 Minutes TV show and said that he would not authorize the release of the pictures because it could inflame the situation and threaten U.S. troops and interests around the world. But wait, there are several pictures showing different individuals who were with Bin Laden on his compound. And they are not pretty, they are gruesome. They show the men in a pool of blood. Why is it okay to show these images and not the one that people really want to see? And note how one of the dead individuals has a, an orange water gun next to him. Was that his weapon? Then we all have seen an image which shows President Obama and his staff allegedly watching as the operation unfolds. But wait, now CIA Director Leon Panetta says that there was a 25-minute video blackout from the moment the Navy SEALs enter the compound. So what were they watching instead? Then we are told the world's most wanted man received an at-sea burial according to Islamic law. Who are they trying to fool? Sea burial is actually against Islamic law. I remember clearly when President George W. Bush made sure images from Saddam Hussein's sons Uday and Kusay were shown to the world, no matter how graphic. And how about Saddam Hussein's hanging? So to say that showing the images of Osama bin Laden dead to the world will just make things worse is ridiculous. Yes, it's tasteless to show images of dead people, but in this case, it is not only important. It is crucial. Do I have proof that Osama bin Laden has been dead for years? No. Do I have proof that Osama bin Laden was killed on May 1st? No. But since 2001, I have not seen one single piece of video footage that shows Osama bin Laden. Instead, we were shown two that I could remember, and that, ladies and gentlemen, was not Osama bin Laden. It was obviously a ploy to keep the boogeyman alive in the eyes of the world, especially the American people. Yes, they have aired a few audio clips, but the technology to morph someone's voice is available. It is imperative for the perpetual war on terror to continue keeping its boogeyman alive. So if they were not able to show the real Osama bin Laden since, that tells me that indeed Osama bin Laden has been dead since. Some speculate that his body was kept frozen and it would be released at the most advantageous time in the future. Let's see. The president's approval rating were the lowest of his term so far. The US dollar continues to lose value. On April 18th, the credit rating agency Standard & Poor's lowered the US credit rating to negative. This is just to name a few. Apparently, this was the most advantageous time, if indeed they had the body. Now, Bin Laden had allegedly been living in the compound for over five years, which is located just 62 miles north of Islamabad, the capital of Pakistan. And Pakistani intelligence did not know about this even with the billions of dollars of foreign aid given to that country? 
this definitely doesn't feel right. The word retaliation is all over the mainstream media, even a week before the alleged killing. Are we being prepared for another event? Another false flag event, that is? To close, let me read an excerpt of an article posted at our forum called Thought of Gullible Masses Explained. In light of the string of blatant falsehoods being announced by the U.S. government these days, FDA, DHS, White House, etc., it's interesting that so many people still believe whatever they are told by, quote, official sources. It brings up the question of the functioning of their brains. How could a person swallow official information so gullibly and so completely without even asking common sense questions about the reliability or factual basis of that information? These people, it turns out, are operating from what I call the gullible mind. It is a psychological processing malfunction that filters out information based on its source rather than its integrity. People who operate from the gullible mind tend to have misplaced trust in governments, institutions, mainstream news networks, doctors, scientists, or anyone who wears the garb of apparent authority. Whereas a normal, intelligent person would raise common sense questions about information they receive from all sources, the gullible mind wholly accepts virtually any information from sources that occupy the role of apparent authority in society. Don't bother arguing with a gullible mind. They are immune to facts. To read the entire article, go to our forum. Thanks to Irwin, one of our members, for sharing it with us. Now let's see what else they have planned in the next few days. Watch those ones, March 11th, May 1st. How about May 11th? Let's hope not. And now we return to our regular programming. And if you need to get in touch with me, click on the contact button of our website and join me on Facebook. And now, imagine a scenario in which the president called a news conference and announced that not only are we not alone in the universe, but that another intelligence, an extraterrestrial intelligence, is here among us, interacting with humans. How would our world change? Would society collapse? Or will a new age arrive in which we can conquer all obstacles from the past, free energy, end of disease, interstellar travel, and more? Historian Richard Dolan and writer and producer Bryce Zabel have analyzed this scenario in great detail. And in my opinion, they have produced a masterpiece of a guide that takes us to an AD world, an after-disclosure world. Are you ready? Close your eyes and imagine how this would sound like from the words of the President. Thank you, everyone. Please, please have a seat. I'll be making a brief announcement followed by later statements from the Secretaries of Defense and Commerce. After all of us have spoken, we'll take your questions. I'll make note of the time now. It is 4.14 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
in cities across the world, including the capitals of China, Russia, India, and Brazil, as well as our European allies, which includes specifically the United Kingdom, Germany, France, Spain, and Italy, and also the Vatican. A total of 103 countries involved, I believe. The same basic announcement is being made, some simultaneously, others later, depending on the time zone. All right, then. The time is now 4.15 p.m. By now, most of us are familiar with the so-called Portland event. This occurred 17 days ago in the skies above the city of Portland, Oregon, when an object hovered in plain sight above the citizen there for some 11 minutes. This object did not have wings. It was not a helicopter, nor did it make any sound. The object was seen by tens of thousands of people, maybe more, widely videotaped, photographed by professionals and amateurs alike, and was recorded by Portland International Airport's radar at its air traffic control center. Additionally, U.S. intelligence satellites did receive and confirm tracking data. Now, most people who saw the news reports rightly questioned what exactly this object was. I know I did. When I first heard about it in my morning intelligence briefing, I requested a meeting with the Joint Chiefs, and I put the question to them directly. Was this object one of ours? Their response was in the negative. I asked them if they had any knowledge as to who was in control of this object, given that it did appear to be intelligently controlled with a physical structure and performance capabilities that I am unfamiliar with. I was told that such knowledge was classified and they would look into clearing me. Now those of you who know me well also know that the answer I received, no matter how well-intentioned, was unsatisfactory. Accordingly, on your behalf, I have sought direct answers to my questions. I am sorry it has taken so long, but this afternoon I believe I can provide at least a partial answer. After consultation with key members of our defense and intelligence community, including the officials who are here with me at this podium, it has been made clear that there is persuasive evidence that the Earth has been and is currently being interacted with by one or more intelligent non-human species. Our analysis is that the object which was observed in Portland was one of their craft. Despite the issues that disclosure of this fact now obviously raises, I do believe that the people of the United States and the people of the Earth have a right to know. In my consultations with our allies and with other countries around the world, a consensus was reached that while some of us might have preferred to have more time, events have overtaken us and we can wait no longer. I want to emphasize two things immediately. First, there is virtually no evidence at this time that we are under attack. In fact, the opposite seems to be true. To say that we are under some kind of observation seems more accurate. The Secretary of Defense will speak in a moment and he can address directly the steps that are being taken as we speak to secure the nation and the world. Second, I am, through a separate executive order, creating an Office of Contact Affairs. This will be staffed and funded as a part of our Department of Homeland Security. It has been given the mandate of reporting directly to me about the scope of this current visitation. I have concurrently directed the Attorney General to begin her own investigation into the nature and content of apparent secrecy with which some of these facts have long been held. Because of the need for calm debate, I have taken the precautionary move, and I emphasize precautionary move, of making the National Guard available to any state governor 
who feels that it is needed to keep the public order. Additionally, to protect our nation's economic security, through my executive authority, I am closing the nation's banks for a period of one week and also ordering the closure of the stock market until further notice. After the Secretary of Defense addresses the national security component of this situation, the Secretary of Commerce will be able to speak directly to the issue of the steps being taken to see that the nation's economy and monetary supply are stable and secure. Now, before we get to that, let me speak directly to our nation's children and young people. It is quite clear that the facts I have confirmed today are disturbing. Like your parents, I'm sure you have many, many questions and that some of you may even be scared. Over the weekend, we will be addressing as many of those questions as possible. But I want you to know that you are safe. Your homes are safe. Our nation is safe. We are entering a new era. That much is clear, but we do so with strength and confidence and an abiding belief that humanity has much to give to other life forms that may exist in the vast universe we live in and that we can also learn much from these visitors. To the media, the press secretary assures me that you will find full information packets and hard drives with a selection of photos, videos, and reports which I have declassified through presidential order. The Attorney General will begin a thorough review of other material in consultation with the Congress and the chairs of the House and Senate Intelligence Committees as to what can be released in the future and in what time frame. I ask your patience. The process will be difficult, yet today we do begin it together. May God bless not just the United States of America, but may He also bless our home, the Earth. Thank you. Dr. Richard Sauter, and you are listening to Veritas. Richard M. Dolan is the author of the groundbreaking historical series, UFOs and the National Security State, which chronicles the modern UFO age with an emphasis on military encounters and government secrecy. This work has been acclaimed as the finest history of the UFO phenomenon available in any language. Dolan has also published articles, spoken at conferences around the world, and appeared on numerous TV specials as an on-air expert. He has developed fresh insights into the practical challenges and opportunities for a true disclosure of the UFO phenomenon. Prior to his interest in UFOs, Dolan was a finalist for a Rhodes Scholarship, studying U.S. Cold War strategy, Soviet history, and culture, and international diplomacy. Let me also mention that tonight's focus will be on Richard Dolan's newest book, After Disclosure, The People's Guide to Life After Contact, which he co-wrote with Bryce Zabel. And although Mr. Zabel won't be with us tonight, let me mention some of his accomplishments. He created the NBC TV series, Dark Skies, wrote the Sci-Fi Channel's first original film, Office Denial, and worked on the development team on the Steven Spielberg-produced abduction miniseries, Taken. And directly from Rochester, New York, I would like to welcome Richard Dolan. Hello, Richard, and welcome back. How are you? Hi, Mel. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. I've uh, loved every interview that we've done. Thank you. Pleasure is all mine. And you've been doing a lot of travel lately. What has been the people's response to your latest work after 
disclosure? Well, at the at the various venues I've been to, the conferences where I've spoken, uh, I I would say overall people are very positive. Uh, they they tell me that they like the themes uh, that they've encountered in AD after disclosure. Um, a few people get very excited about it. I think what what Bryce and I try to do is to open up a new a new area of discussion. Uh, it's not that we've in the field of UFOs um, have never dis- talked about disclosure and that we've never talked about the need to end secrecy. But what had really not been on the table, I think, until we wrote this book, is is a kind of broad overview um, of of under, trying to understand how the end of UFO secrecy really might, in practical terms, uh, change our society and really transform our world. And that's what we tried to do. And so it was an exciting intellectual journey, I have to say, in writing that book. And I do get the idea that a number of the people, when reading it, have felt, have, have felt a sense of that journey also, so that it opens up new vistas, hopefully, in their own way of thinking about this problem. I've never set out to answer definitively any of the questions about what will happen after disclosure, but I did set out, Bryce and I both wanted to to get people to think about it so that we would at least be a good uh, jumping off point for further discussion. Absolutely. And I'm excited about this interview because as far as I can remember, although I'm pessimistic, well, actually, bad choice of semantics, how about realistic about the possibility of a world leader disclosing? The question of what if has always been there in my mind. And if you will consider the what if, you must consider the ramifications this scenario will have for the entire planet. What if UFO secrecy were to end? How would that change our world? Some say that no secret can last forever. Well, there's even displays of what seems to be extraterrestrial visitors and craft in ancient hieroglyphs. How is it that this information, or the truth embargoes, Steve Bassett calls it, has been kept sequestered for so long? Well, yeah, you raise a couple of excellent points here. Let me just speak to the, the first um, one, which was your own skepticism that this secret really will at least voluntarily end anytime soon. Uh, I often have the same opinion. Uh, one of the values, I think, of AD after disclosure is that you don't really have to believe that disclosure is coming to appreciate it. Really, you don't even have to believe in UFOs, I suppose. It's, uh, you can think of it, it at the very least as a kind of intellectual exercise, a kind of what if. What if? What if UFOs are real? What if there is secrecy? then how might our world be changed with the end of that secrecy? And if you just think of it that way, um, even if you don't believe that secret will end, one thing that comes through very clearly is the, the power of the secrecy argument, in a sense, because you become aware that the end of this secret really will change everything in practical terms. And so what you then come to the conclusion is, wow, it's really not hard to see why those few people who really do have, probably have the full secret, why they would not be willing to share it. And that leads really into your second question, uh, which is, uh, if I'm remembering it correctly, why has this secret been in place for so long? Yes. I, yeah. And I think um, there's, there's a couple of very profound reasons for this. Uh, it helps to do a little bit of time travel. Let's rewind the clock about 60, 70 years into the past and see ourselves in this national security community in the 1940s 
and uh, we, along with Harry Truman, discover, let's say, that this phenomenon represents uh, intelligences that are beyond our civilization. So let's let's say now we've just gone through all of World War II, this draining, encompassing experience. The United States is sitting on top of the world, really, but then suddenly they confront the presence of these others. Who they are, we don't know, but they've got capabilities, technology, probably brain power beyond our own. That's a very unsettling thing right at that moment. You could imagine the sense of panic that would probably ensue at the highest levels, wondering what are we dealing with? Oh my God. But then you've got the uh, very likelihood that in 1947, at the latest, we recovered technology that belonged to them or that was made by them in some way or another. Uh, This is not something that we would feel we could just share with the whole rest of the world. After all, uh, there was our own geopolitical situation to deal with. You have the U.S., you have the Soviet Union, the, the, the burgeoning Cold War. Uh, I can be quite confident in saying, uh, since Harry Truman wasn't willing to share atomic technology with, with the rest of the world, and this was a known fact of the time, there's no way he's going to want to share something as exotic as alien technology. Uh, that would be the quickest way to, to lose control of it. And, and from his point of view, he might well think we have to maintain control over that. And so what you have to do then is deny everything. You can't admit that there's this phenomenon because all that does is it gets people looking into it. And and then the next thing uh, you know, they've discovered that you've got this this technology and – uh, it becomes very difficult to maintain control over it. So so you've got the panic. You've got the technology. And then you've got the, um, the, the infrastructure issues. Let's, let's say it, you know, it's ni- 1940s, and our scientists already realize that these objects do not use gasoline to get around. They don't use petroleum. So whatever that source of power is, and in all likelihood in the 1940s, they might not felt that they could duplicate it, although maybe they could have, and, you know, making advances on Tesla technology and so on. But in any case, they would have felt if we open the door to the UFO reality, there goes our petroleum industry, poof, goodbye. Because really, how long is it going to take before the rest of the world wises up to the idea that right. they don't need to, to fight over petroleum? Hell, they can just use something that's much better, free, clean, probably, and so forth. Um, For the future of humanity, this is obviously something I think that we would all agree is a good thing for us to move past petroleum. But for the immediate term, for those men running U.S. and world policy in the 1940s and 50s, I would bet very strongly that they would not see it the same way. They they would uh, argue – we have more than enough oil to last us for as long as we need, at least that's what they thought at the time. And in terms of 1950 consumption, well, they kind of did. Uh, the problem with that, of course, is that this isn't 1950 anymore, and we've got uh, nations around the world now sucking down the oil in a way that was not conceivable 60 years ago. But they would have argued, look, we don't really have an oil crisis. We have a lot of it. It's pretty cheap, which back then it was. We don't need to rock the boat right now. Let's just keep this secret. And then, of course, uh, 
the, the broader implications for secrecy, just meaning uh, having to do with social change, political change. You never know what's going to come out. You go into that tunnel of, as it were, uh, in opening up the UFO reality. You don't know where you're going to come out. What will happen 10 years down the road after secrecy ends when people start looking at the world in a different way? Uh, it could very well be that your hold on power itself becomes challenged in some way or another. So for those guys at the top, it seems to me they had no motivation. But then it gets deeper. It gets more intense still. And <clears throat> I'll just add this one more thing and, and, uh, and end this point, which is you've got this technology that you're studying, let's say. So uh, it takes you a few years, but you've got teams of genius scientists studying it. And eventually... They may not be able to duplicate that technology, but they can probably develop very, very innovative ideas themselves that lead to new developments, that lead to money-making opportunities. And with that happening, they have very, very little incentive, I would say, for revealing the secret because now it's, it's this holding the future in your hands, so to speak. You've got a, a great ground floor investment opportunity, one after the next, that they have no incentive. And then finally, one final point here for the secrecy has to do with these other beings. Let's never forget this. We've got a UFO phenomenon. That means, by definition, well, by my definition, that there are other beings not from our civilization that are behind this, whoever they are whatever they are, are they from here or not from here? Are they from this time or not from this time? This dimension or not from this dimension? Whatever it is, they're not from our civilization. And that might mean a threat, conceivably. It might mean something that is unsettling in one way or another, potentially. Now, it might mean something that's very good, but it might mean something that's very unsettling. And if the secret keepers are aware of anything, that might be considered deeply unsettling about this reality. Look, it's not hard to see why they would want to keep that secret as well. And so what would be necessary would be the construction of an entire secrecy network, a, a world of secrecy. And really, I've come to discover uh, in my own study of this is that the last 60-plus years of our history has seen the, a, a clandestine construction of this whole world. It's, it's a whole different world, a secret world um, that is kept off limits from the rest of us. And that's what I've uh, come to call the breakaway civilization. Right. But uh, more on that whenever we're ready to get to it. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, ever since I was a child, looking up into the sky and, and imagining the billions of stars surrounded by billions of planets, just to think that that we're alone is, is the height of arrogance. But having said that, let me play devil's advocate for a second. Do you think that disclosure and exopolitics are premature in a world that will not even acknowledge the reality of UFO themselves? Yes. Oh, absolutely. I, I felt that disclosure, because I, I've been encountering arguments regarding disclosure for, you know, since I've been in this field for the last decade. And I've always felt that, uh, exopolitics was kind of a premature 
concept itself. I thought, well, why are we talking about our relationship with them when we don't really even know everything about them to begin with? And we're, we're so far away from getting in any kind of open acknowledgement anyway, so why are we even talking about this? But um, I think what's, what's happening is that, uh, I mean, let's look at our world of the last 10 years and where we have transformed. This is not the world of 2000 even, and 2000 was pretty advanced, but we've moved so far beyond that. Even when you compare the internet itself, the internet is much more advanced a place than it was uh, 10 years ago. Um, there was no YouTube 10 years ago. There was no Facebook or MySpace 10 years ago. There was um, Our ability to, to communicate with each other 10 years ago was pretty good, but it wasn't anything like what we have today. There were no smartphones 10 years ago. Now, what we're seeing, in other words, is our own rate of change is, is speeding up. It's getting faster and faster. And the, the thing that keeps driving me to, to believing that there is going to be disclosure, whether we're ready or not, is simply because we are what's changing so rapidly, Mel. I mean, we're, what are we going to look like in another 20 years as a society? I, I don't even know if we can predict that. But I do feel that our computing technology is going to be off the charts 20 years from now. Um, our, our ability to retrieve information and share that information globally is going to be off the charts compared with what we have now. I just feel that we're going to get to a point, and I don't know when this is going to happen, but I believe that we as a society are going to have the ability, within another 10 years very possibly, to be able to obtain UFO data in such a way to, as to make it incontrovertible in the public sphere. I could be wrong. I freely admit I could be wrong. But I, I think it's going to happen. And, and if that's, that's correct, then being ready for it is going to be utterly irrelevant. won't matter if you're ready. Who's ready to have their first child? No one's ready to have their first child, but you have it anyway. And who's going to be ready for the truth on UFOs? Basically, pretty much none of us are going to be ever, ever ready for the truth. But that doesn't stop the truth from coming. And so that's, that's been my position. It would be nice if we lived in a world where our political leadership, the guys that were in the know, were to say, Hmm. Well, we should prepare the world. So let's let's get you know the truth out there bit by bit. I actually don't think that's happening. Um, I think what's happening instead is the bit by bit of information that's coming out is not from their initiative. It's being forced from below by people like ourselves, researchers who are getting better and better access to data and are putting it out there, and that is what is forcing the change. So uh, the, the secret, you know, and when you're looking at the broader population, I don't think that there's a whole lot of consciousness about the UFO topic that's beyond the most basic level. So there isn't going to be a lot of awareness when, um, when the matter's forced out in the open, but they're just going to have to deal with it as a, probably a very substantial shock to their lives. And you say the wall of official denial that has been in place for more than a half a century now is showing cracks. How so, Richard? Well, because um, look at something like uh, WikiLeaks. You know, five years ago, WikiLeaks uh, didn't exist. I think it's just about five years old now, if I'm not mistaken. Um, 
WikiLeaks would certainly not have been possible more than 10 years ago. We didn't have the technological infrastructure in the world in place for something like WikiLeaks really to exist. And now look at it. Compare what they've released to some major releases of data in the past, like uh, the Pentagon Papers back in 1971. That release back then was very, very important and had a, a major impact on how U.S. policy in Vietnam was going to be uh, done. It was a leak of of inside Pentagon policy statements on Vietnam that were very unflattering to U.S. policy, let's put it that way. Now, the WikiLeaks phenomenon, though, puts the Pentagon Papers in the shade easily. The amount of data that Julian Assange and his uh, colleagues in WikiLeaks have been able to put out. The State Department cables, for example, which just came out at the end of 2010, was uh, uh, something like half a million cables. It dwarfs what the Pentagon Papers were. Uh, prior to that, in 2010, there were releases of another 100,000 or more uh, uh, Defense Department cables, uh, the memos, uh, prior to that, same year, 2010, was the release of the uh, that really chilling uh, U.S. military video that showed uh, U.S. soldiers gunning down Iraqi civilians. Right. All of these things really would not nearly have e- as easily have been possible in, in prior years. Now, that's not UFO-related, but let's, let's get right down to it. If, if there's a UFO secret, and I firmly believe that there is, the potential for WikiLeaks alone or some WikiLeaks-type organization, because others have have sprung up, um, to release, leak something relating to UFOs in such a way that it just might get the kind of attention that they deserve. We've just recently seen the release of a a, um, John F. Kennedy document pertaining to UFOs. Yes, um, now, it's, that's quite significant because that particular document in which uh, Kennedy uh, wrote to the CIA and wanted um, the UFO topic uh, secrecy on that to be revisited in lieu of uh, not having the, the Soviets think that UFOs were U.S. missiles – this was a document that had long been on the website of Ryan and Bob Wood, on MajesticDocuments.com. In other words, that document originally had been leaked uh, in the 1990s, and it only now has been confirmed by uh, the CIA, which released it to another researcher. So I guess what I'm saying is that um, – that's leaked documents, I think, is one key way that more and more what we are seeing is that these things are being pried out of uh, military and government um, repositories. The other reason, the other way that I think secrecy is most likely to end, I mean, one would be the, the release of a, of a you know, really amazing document like that. But the other, I think, would be a sighting. Increasingly, sightings are just being seen everywhere around the world, and they haven't had the ability to make that breakthrough yet into the public consciousness. Not quite. I think we've come close a few times lately, but um, we're not quite at the point where we have multiple high-def 
uh, recordings of the same object from multiple angles that has passed uh, video analysis. Okay, We're going to get to it, though. I think it's inevitable. Um, there's been all this talk about the Jerusalem, the Dome of the Rock yeah. sighting, and uh, that you know that those videos certainly look really, really dramatic. But if they're 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 damaged goods in the sense that there is a lot of dispute over the authenticity of at least some of them. But how long do you think it's going to be before we actually hit the sweet spot, so to speak, with one of these events? Uh, increasingly, we have more and more people with good quality recording equipment that they just carry with them. Uh, in another five years, I guarantee you that many phones will just by default have high-def uh, video recording capability. We're not quite there, but we're close. And I think it's only a matter of time before an event happens. It gets out, multiple uh, angles, uh, witnesses will come forward, and in that kind of an environment, it could very well be very difficult. Well, you bring a good point. Uh, you bring a good point. Let's go back to March of 1997, the Phoenix Lights. Yeah. If this had happened in April of 2011 with people who have infrared goggles, high-definition cameras all over the place, maybe things would be different today, don't you think? I Absolutely, I think that's right. I think the Phoenix uh, event was a perfect example of this. Uh, in particular, if you really go through the Phoenix event, uh, sighting of, of 1997, you have two events that are of significance, and it's only the second of those events that was uh, recorded in any way, and that's the one that's the most controversial. Uh, the, the earlier event, in which you have a number of witnesses, every single one of them saying the same thing, that there was this enormous uh, kind of boomerang-like object that went right over them. I mean, it just blew them all away. Um, if this if this were to happen today, basically about 15 years later, 14 years later, um, yeah, I'm sure many of those people would have had their own ability to record the object, and uh, we would be in a very different situation uh, regarding that. So yes, um, sightings happen all the time. Um, it's very difficult for most people. I, I think a lot of skeptics aren't aware of just how difficult it is to record one of these anomalous objects. I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I, uh, a couple of years ago, did an experiment. I was at a park with um, my kids. They were quite a bit younger at the time, and they had some friends there. And I was just, just there sort of uh, watching over. I was the responsible adult. Uh, they were off doing their thing, and I was by myself, and I had a camera with me. And, and I knew that I was standing right near the local airport, that was on a flight path, and I thought, oh, let's see if I can get a picture of any of the planes coming in. Where I was standing was in a, uh, I, there were trees around me, so I, I wasn't easily able to see aircraft as they were coming in until they were close. And so I thought that would be like my, my test. You know, if I had to react very quickly to an aerial object, could I snap a picture of it? And uh, I waited and waited and waited. And I knew that this, this, was a, this was the flight path. And I, for an instant, I took my attention away from what I was doing. And sure enough, that's when the uh, 727 came over. Pretty quiet. I said, oh, there it is. Fumbled with my camera, turned it on. 
it wasn't quite ready. It took a minute to uh, to warm up. Yep. And by the time I got it ready, plane was out. And I tried it two more times, and uh, and I failed. I mean, it was embarrassing, but I was not able to uh, to catch it. Now, people do get pictures of UFOs, but the thing is, it is tricky. You've got to um, – and then getting a good quality image is, is very difficult, especially at night. Yeah. It's very tough. All I'm saying – is that we are getting to a point in our technology, in our society, where many people are going to be having good quality recording equipment. And I do think it's a matter of time. It's like in any sporting event, like, uh, you know, in a hockey game. You can get a shot on goal, and you got a good goalie. He'll make a save, make another save, make another save. But guess what? You get enough shots on goal, you're going to score eventually. And I think that's where we are at with this phenomenon. We're getting better equipment, and things will push it and when it happens this is really when we get to disclosure i think something will force the issue and it will force an admission and really only because if there's an admission it's only going to be because the rest of the world already knows and those people in charge of the secret have made the decision look we need to stay in control of this to the best of our ability, so we need now, now to control the spin on it, and so they will make an admission, but only so that they can control spin. And so, in other words, disclosure is not the end of anything. It is the beginning of an entirely new struggle over truth. We cannot assume that the, the powers that be, so to speak, are just going to say, okay, here it is. It's all, everything you wanted to know, we're going to tell you right now. No, I it's not going to be possible for them, and it's not going to be desirable from their point of view either. So we, the citizens of the world, are going to have to continue to fight to pry out each new piece of truth so that we can know what's going on in this world. The, the one thing we'll have going for us at that point is that a discussion of UFOs will be valid socially, and it will be on the table socially so that – it won't just be a couple of fringe uh, activists like ourselves talking about this. It'll be uh, a much, much larger conversation that's taking place. And since you mentioned the Kennedy memo, I was having a conversation with a skeptic brother I have, and I forwarded some of the memos coming from folks. If you haven't read it, if you go to the FBI, FBI.gov website, there's there's a section, I believe it's called The Vault, and they're releasing a lot of this information, including the Kennedy memo, which was, by the way, written 10 days before he was killed. But there's oh, a that's on The Vault, Mel? I didn't the, realize it was on the FBI side. Yes, and not only okay. that, but the... There's information about Roswell and another set of, of uh, memos that state that Hitler never died and that he went to Argentina. There are memos from yeah. J. Edgar Hoover and so on. And if this was in the hands of a, of a uh, uh, researcher years ago, the question in everybody's mind is, you know, I wonder if this is a, this information planted there. But the fact that this is coming from FBI.gov, the authenticity all of a sudden is magnified, don't you think? Yeah, I, I basically I agree. What the FBI, of course, has said right on their website is that just because we have these documents doesn't mean they're true. Right, right. Uh, and it does, you know, really all it means is, oh, excuse me, that these were documents that uh, are that were in our agency for one reason or another. Uh, for, for example, one of those documents, which I, I chatted about recently uh, on 
in another interview, uh, got a lot of play recently. It was the 1950 memo from an agent named Guy Hotel, H-O-T-T-E-L. Uh, now, this is a memo that many of us researchers have known about for years. It wasn't anything new, but the FBI um, released it, so to speak, and a lot of the world had not seen it before. In this memo, this special agent, 1950, talks about a source within um, uh, Air Force intelligence that talked about the stories of alien bodies, the UFO crash, uh, you know, three-foot-tall alien beings, and so forth. The memo doesn't make a statement one way or the other as to the truth of this. It just says that you know this particular source made this claim. Um, so that of course doesn't prove that a, an alien UFO crash happened. It just proves that it was being discussed by a source which the FBI then picked up on. And in fact, the whole story of that particular case is is um, reasonably well known anyway. Um, I think it, it's relating to the alleged and I think probably true crash of a UFO at Aztec, New Mexico, not Roswell, but Aztec, which was a year later, and uh, is related to some information that came from a lecture in Denver in 1950 by a guy named Silas Newton, who himself was disreputable. But I think Newton probably got access to some the story, and uh, that's where they got it from. Anyway, long story short. The fact that the FBI has these uh, memos out there is interesting, and it is significant. I keep asking myself why they're doing it, uh, and I haven't answered that one satisfactorily. <laughs> but uh, the, one, the one thing that people should be looking at is this Kennedy memo. That's a heck of a memo. And, it, and I wouldn't say that it proves that there's a UFO cover-up, but I would say it's kind of darn close. If you read it, if you read Kennedy's uh, wording on this very carefully, uh, it, it seems clear to me that he was taking the UFO phenomenon quite seriously. And um, I don't know. I mean, he's writing to the CIA about this, asking the phenomenon to be downgraded, uh, to have a classification review of it uh, for the purpose because he didn't want the Soviets to be confused by UFOs and our missiles. Sounds pretty compelling to me. One of our listeners from Amsterdam wrote a, a question for you about the Kennedy memo and, and all the stuff that's coming out of the FBI. And he says, do you think, Richard, that they may have read your book or they have, may have attended one of your lectures? And that's why they're releasing all this stuff. I'd like to think that's the case. <laughs> I, I don't want, I, I'm thinking maybe not. Um, who knows? Uh, Certainly, the, the guys who are releasing this information, what I've discovered is that there are a lot of government people, folks in the intelligence community, and they are aware of UFO research. Sure, they are. They are aware, many of them, of the current issues that, are, that take place in this field. And if they're aware of that, then I, maybe why wouldn't they be aware of some of the, the things that I've had to say also? Um, I really have no way of knowing. Um, I'll, I'll get emails and communications from uh, various people who have who seem to have some connection to that world, and, and uh, some of them certainly seem to be aware of my work, but I really don't know. Are we live right now, Mel? Or no, we're not. 
We're not. Okay. <laughs> Don't, no worries. You had, me, you had me wondering there for a second. Well, that would have been fine. I just yeah, I know. <laughs> but let me say something. Since you mentioned WikiLeaks, Facebook, YouTube, and all, all the, the usual suspects, yeah. many people say to me, but Mel, we have the internet now. It's very difficult to hide a secret this way. And to them, I say, to the contrary, with the internet, we're now flooded with more disinformation than ever, and we're more monitored than we have ever been. You know, you probably have seen the past few days the alleged alien in Siberia, which has been debunked in the past few days. Oh, yeah. Even until minutes before we, we went on the air, I received an email from one of our listeners, and I was, Mel, what do you think about this? And I told her, look, this is the picture. Look at, they put a, 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 a box of matches next to, to it, and it's just a chicken filled with bread. So her response right. was all disappointed because this is what gives the the debunkers and the skeptics more fuel to say that all we do is just baloney i know and it is distressing uh to think that you know the whoever you know the earliest pioneers of the internet i have to think are if they're not alive they're going to be spinning in their graves with some of the things that they that are going on the internet today uh, so much of it is just a complete waste of bandwidth. Um, you know, YouTube, for example. I mean, everyone uses, everyone loves YouTube. And there are so many good UFO videos on YouTube. But the problem is there's so much garbage yeah. on YouTube. Posing for real as real. And I, I completely agree. This is this is a, um, a problem that... Uh, I really, I feel like I want to address this in, in a further analysis uh, down the road. That is, how is it going to be possible for responsible research, uh, when, when looking at YouTube, for example, to separate the good stuff from the garbage? Um, it, it's like all of us have got to become at least conversant with video editing techniques, and we, I think we need to learn how to establish certain protocols of investigation. For example, uh, I, I think, like for myself, I never give credence to any YouTube UFO video that I see unless I know that there is independent witness confirmation mm -hmm. of that event and if those witnesses are willing to talk. And in fact, if you look at what's out there, that's a minority of the, the YouTube UFO videos, as far as I can tell, most of these are just put out there. You know, this anonymous person putting out this video of who knows what this is that's alleged to be in this place at this time, but you don't really know. And so what's necessary is good, old-fashioned field work by responsible investigators. This is the kind of thing that an organization like MUFON is supposed to be doing. And to their credit, to some extent, MUFON does do this still. Um, it, it, it really brings home the point that in the year 2011, it, it is not passe, not at all, to be doing the, the yeoman-like groundwork to investigate case after case. It's got to be done. Otherwise, we really don't know what we have. Having said all of that, the, the the fact that the internet is such uh, in many ways a cesspool of misinformation, disinformation, fake videos, fake information. Nevertheless, I know it's all difficult. It's 
it's a it's a mess. But I I don't really I can't tell you exactly why I believe this, but I just think that this part of the internet is it's it's like a phase. It's a phase, and I believe we're going to get to a, another phase in our history, in our development, in which we are going to find a way around this. We're going to find a way to deal with this uncertainty. We're going to develop new technologies, I firmly believe it, that are going to enable us to do an end run around this particular difficulty of confirming this or that information. One, one thing off the top of my head that comes to mind is computing intelligence. Um, you know, if people have been reading me for a while or listening to me for a while, they know that I, I have an interest in the future of artificial intelligence. Yes. It's been one of the fascinating things. Um, I think that this is related here. I mean, look, think of it this way. In 20 years from now, I've said this so many times, I, I feel like I'm, I don't want to repeat myself too much, but it's, it's important. In 20 years from now, it is very likely that our computers will be talking to us like really talking to us. And they may claim to be sentient at that point. They may claim to be conscious, in other words. Whatever consciousness may mean, they may seem that way, except that they're going to be, probably in many ways, more intelligent than we are in certain key factors. And if that's so, and if they continue to become more and more intelligent, we will have a an advanced guard here, an avant-garde of intelligence that is beyond what we currently have in our society. And it just seems to me that in that type of uh, an environment, we may find a way to be able to obtain definitive proof or information on UFOs that becomes impossible to deny. And I'm not sure how that will happen. A sighting, a leak, I think are the two primary candidates that I have. Could be something else, but I think those two are very, very likely. And in that kind of an environment, yes, I see something happening, something that will force the issue and uh, open the floodgates of change. Because you really don't see government leaders acting because they're altruistic or because they have their the interest of humankind first it no, will be more not. it will right. be more of a, a reactive uh, being pushed because it's no longer deniable right that's what all political leadership has ever done throughout yes. history and really let's look get right down to it political leaders never act in a in a proactive way never they always react yeah they always react to stuff that happens to them and sometimes If we're lucky, they will react in a way that, that brings out, as Abraham Lincoln once said, the better angels of our nature. We should be so lucky, and maybe we will get lucky. Sometimes they react in ways that are much less becoming of a great political leader. But, um, what, but they are always reacting. You know, there's no motivation for, for any any person in political power to give this secret up. And by the way, not just motivation, but they don't really have the ability. Uh, Barack Obama, let's look at him. First of all, I think it's very unlikely that Barack Obama knows anything more than the bare bones outline of this reality. I doubt very seriously that he has any operational control 
over the uh, program that is in place to deal with this challenge of other beings here on Earth interacting with Earth and humanity. I doubt it very seriously. I think he's been briefed, and um, probably that's about it. Um, I will I will just share with you that I received that information from one particular source that I I guess I'll say I think I trust. <laughs> you never really know for sure, but I think I trust this source, and uh, I was told that quite explicitly. But it also just makes sense to me if you look at the structure of the black budget world. Uh, hold, hold on, Richard. I don't mean to interrupt you. you you're saying yeah. that you, you receive information from a source stating that President Obama was briefed on the reality of UFOs? That's correct, yeah. I did. Interesting. Yeah, I did. And and uh, it's not something that I, I can confirm to you or anyone else. It's just uh, something that I was told by, by one source. And um, it's a source that I... I I had some communication with for a while, and um, I think that that source could be could be legit. I but I don't know. Uh, okay. But what I will say is that uh, that type of scenario is pretty consistent with ha what we know of the black budget world in general. You think about what are called special access programs, or uh, sometimes unacknowledged special access programs, and these are the primordial black budget programs. Of course, that. Um, Congress has no oversight over. Um, well, it turns out presidents don't really know much about them either. There's just too many. There's too many. There's hundreds, probably thousands of them. Uh, think about the job of a U.S. president. U.S. president is a sales rep. That's really what a president is. He's got to sell you a couple of things. He's got to sell you globalization um, on behalf of the financial interests that essentially put him into power to begin with. Um, and every president from Obama right back down t to at least Jimmy Carter has explicitly been pushing that kind of an agenda. Um, and then he's got to sell you whatever new war comes down the pike and, right. um, you know, whatever other agendas, he's got to kiss the babies, he's got to shake the hands of the dignitaries and do all of this. He's got to be on TV. PR. Exactly. Ask yourself, how much time? Really? I mean, Really? Does the U.S. president have to manage this? Think of some of the presidents we've had. Now, Obama, Barack Obama strikes me as a, a fairly astute uh, individual. He's a very intelligent man, I think. Um, we've had some very intelligent presidents, and we've had a few that you, you really have to assume are not going to be on top of this matter. Uh, you know, I think there are a lot of doubts that were in the national security community about President George W. Bush right. in terms of his ability. And, you know, I'm not trying to be Republican, Democrat, partisan here. It's, it's irrelevant, frankly. Right. Uh, but regarding his ability to manage the day-to-day -day, uh, uh, office. Uh, now, Bill Clinton is, is by all, um, you know, everyone kind of recognizes that he is extremely intelligent. But think about the scandals that racked the Clinton presidency, the Monica Lewinsky ordeal. Uh, how, how much attention is he going to be able to give to some of these issues as well in the course of his presidency? Uh, George Bush Sr., one certainly gets the idea that he was probably on top of this matter uh, to the extent that he needed to be. Ronald Reagan, doubt it. Doubt it seriously. Um, I don't think Reagan did much more than read uh, cue cards. I mean, yeah. Literally, his whole presidency. 
Uh, and Jimmy Carter, I've, I have a story that I repeated about Jimmy Carter in AD After Disclosure. I also uh, repeated it in Volume 2 of UFOs and National Security State. It came to me from a very, very elite source, CIA. One day I will reveal that source, but uh, not until I get permission or until that source is no longer alive. But I was told explicitly that um, that in June of 1977, Jimmy Carter received a UFO briefing. Uh, at the end of that, uh, it wasn't known what was said, but at the end of it, he was seen by uh, a close aide with his head in his hands, on his elbows on his desk, crying, uh, sob- sobbing, deeply yeah. upset, mm-hmm. deeply upset. So there's something going on here, presumably, that is unsettling. And I certainly get the idea that U.S. presidents do not have a whole lot of authority at this point in uh, managing this problem. So back to the question of doing the disclosure. Who can disclose? If the president even wanted to disclose, where is the president going to get his or her information? You got me. You know, there's a story when Clinton became president. He told his friend uh, Webster Hubble, who was the assistant attorney general under Janet uh, Reno. Reno. Yeah, Janet Reno. He said, uh, you know, famously at this point, he said, I want you to find out two things for me. Who killed JFK and are there UFOs? And uh, Hubble failed on both counts. I don't really think Hubble looked all that hard. But the fact was he wasn't able to get any information on that. Um, and I don't think that presidents are uh, particularly trusted all the time with the secret by the keepers of that secret. Well, that's why they have so many security clearances over their heads anyway, right? It, it, that is how it appears to be the case, yeah. I, I'm not sure how confirmed that, that fact is, that there's all these levels above top secret, but I, uh, above the president, excuse me. I think that is the case, though. Certainly when you look at the, uh, again, the structure of the black budget secrecy world, there are many, many layers well beyond top secret. Uh, that's, that's almost uh, child's play at this point compared with what else is out there. Think of it this way. It's like an iceberg. So you've got a little bit of the iceberg is above the water, and most of that iceberg is below the water. So um, below that iceberg, you've got um, various levels um, that are not as severe as top secret. Historically, we've had uh, confidential and restricted, and, uh, and then you have secret, and then you have top secret. But it goes past that deeper. You have the special access programs that I mentioned. You have the unacknowledged special access programs. Within those programs, we've discovered that uh, they are dominated typically not even by Pentagon personnel, but by private contractors who create their own security classification systems frequently so that they don't even correspond to secret, top secret, and so on. They're separate. Um, But then even beyond that, you've got um, uh, I was reading a couple of years ago about in the Navy is just one for instance here. The Navy had something called ACCM, Alternative Compensatory and Control Measures. And really that was their fancy acronym for their own black budget programs. And what was interesting about that was that the Secretary of the Navy himself said, we don't have control over these programs. I don't know how many we've got or where this is all going. In other words, forget Congress. Forget Congress. The Secretary of the Navy was not able to give a good accounting and a um, and have 
it seems like control over those those black budget programs. Um, so, in other words, there's there are levels way beyond the standard secrecy system that most Americans think they've heard about, um, and they often do go beyond the president, who does not have a need to know, in the opinion of the secret keepers, for all this uh, information. All it does is it distracts the president from what he's supposed to do, which is keep the ship of state sailing smoothly. No bumps. And going back to the book, I think these, these would be some of the most important questions that people will have. And folks, I really enjoy this book because as I'm reading, I'm thinking, yep, that's exactly what I would want to know. Mm-hmm. Will disclosure lead to social panic, undermine religion, destroy the stock market? Or will it lead to revolutionary new technologies, extended lifespans, and, and world peace? What does your analysis tell you then? Yeah, all of these are uh, are issues that every every page of that book we had to really think through these topics in a fresh way. Right. Uh, let's look at panic. Now, I don't know about you, Mel, but I have family members. I meet them every uh, year or a couple of a couple of times a year for reunions. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. And you know, right? Some of them would be really cool with this. Some, not very cool. Yeah. Everyone is different. Um, I think you don't need more than 5 or 10% of the population really to lose it for there to be serious disruptions in your infrastructure, in your delivery of services, uh, in a lot of the basic things that keep an economy going. Think about the swine flu scare of just, uh, I think it was two years ago now. Yep. Um, do a search on swine flu uh, and supermarkets, and you will find pictures of supermarkets plundered, picked clean, shelves empty, um, because people panicked. Right. And they bought up everything there was to buy up, stocking up, thinking, this is it. We're going to hunker down. It's, it's the end of the world here. Now, think about something well beyond that, when people gain the greatest shock of the millennium, that there are other intelligences actually that are here. People get scared easily, uh, and you find this often in uh, the mainstream news. When I, I've seen news story after news story, and the the announcers often will admit that uh, I, I just saw a clip just recently where one of the announcers says, "Okay, I don't like being scared, so let's just move on to something else." People get scared, so I think that panic is a real probability. Now, the, the only thing is that. I can't see panic lasting forever. I mean, look, everyone's, you know, you can run around in circles only for so long until you realize you have a job, you have to get food to support your family still, and, and all of these things that we call life. So uh, I think what will happen is there will be panic for a while, and people will realize the next day that the world is still here, and um, they'll have to try to piece their world back together. So I think of panic as something that will be a temporary but not a permanent fixture of the post-disclosure world. It could lead uh, to uh, dramatic responses like martial law. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think in all likelihood there will be cases of martial law throughout the world. I don't think, uh, at least at this point, that we're going to 
move right into a, uh, a, a global police state. Uh, a lot of people do argue that this is going to happen. And I mean, let me, let me be clear here. I do think that, that our world is – there are many forces in this world that are trying to push us to a kind of global police state. I'm very aware of this, but I don't think that disclosure is going to uh, be sufficient to be able to do that right off the bat. I just don't. Um, you know. And as a way of uh, illustrating this, look what's been going on in the Middle East in the last few months. What we've discovered is something very fundamental. It's the power of people. And in the world, martial law is only going to function – for a limited period of time. The Egyptian government tried to pull the internet during those riots, and guess what? It didn't work. They were not able to function as a country without an internet. All right, when people start talking about the internet kill switch and all of this, I just think, what, you know, the only, if there ever is an internet kill switch that is implemented, the only thing it can mean is that the powers that be are literally trying to kill the entire population. Right. Because we would not live, literally, without it. So I think there's going to be an internet post-disclosure. There will not be indefinite martial law. I don't see that happening. Uh, but it, it's going to vary from place to place around the globe, no question about it. And uh, a lot of it will depend on the people, the people's willingness to stand up for their rights. They're going to have to do it. Um, so th there's going to be that. There's going to be a lot of anger. Let, let's go through the questions that people are going to be raising. Top of the list is, who are these other beings, and do I have anything to be afraid of? Absolutely, people are going to want to know. And the problem is going to be that the president or any other responsible leader, honestly, may not have the, the full answer to that question. Uh, the president will probably himself be scrambling to get all the answers from his national security people. I mean, you can just imagine behind the scenes slamming his fist down on the table saying, I want some answers, damn it. And his aide saying, well, we're trying, sir. <laughs> and they may not. Uh, there may be deeply, deeply clandestine operations that do not willingly, even then, give up all the information that they have. And there's going to be a struggle, a power struggle politically. I, I think that that's very likely. But in any case, people are going to want to know answers. Who are these other beings? Who are they? What do they want? Who are they? What do they want? That's going to be continually the case. Certainly, one of the things that's going to probably come out is that there are these beings called the greys. They seem to be very much among us. And there seems to be the phenomenon known as abductions. It's going to be very hard to deny abductions once you admit that there's these other beings here, let's face it. Right. And so you're going to have the issue of abductions front row center. That'll be one of the key issues. And how a president is going to deal with that, I, I don't know how a president deals with that, except to say, this is going on, uh, and I'm going to get all the answers for you as soon as I can. And he's going to try to stall. That's the only thing he can do. The question will be raised, was there a secret agreement in 1954, as many have alleged, uh, with these other beings so that they could abduct in exchange for advanced technology and so on? And You know, the fact is, Mel, I don't know the answer to this, and it's not obvious to me that 
that information will be necessarily forthcoming. And so, again, this is going to be another example of the messiness of disclosure. The fact that, you know, it's going to be the beginning, not the end of the struggle for truth. And then there'll be other much more, uh, you know, in, in your face types of questions that will be very difficult for a president to avoid, like the secrecy. How have you kept this secret all these years? And that's going to open up a series of questions about the structure of secrecy, the structure of power, the manipulation of our mainstream media, of our academic community, of our political community, uh, how they've essentially been controlled and bought off and manipulated by CIA and other agencies for this purpose. That's going to be a very, very major political nightmare. Uh, and a lot of angry people, you can imagine, are going to be this is, I think, the real parallel with what we're seeing in the Middle East. They're going to see that the past 70-plus years of their own nation's history have essentially been a big, fat lie right. in many ways, and they're going to be very upset about it. Do you see amnesty uh, for the secret keepers as being imperative, otherwise disclosure would not occur? Well, I had a long discussion about this with my co-author, Bryce Zabel, on exactly that issue, and, and I guess uh, it took us... I think several days really to to work that one out in our own discussions and our our decision at least provisionally and this is what we wrote in the book is that in all likelihood there will be at least the attempt maybe successful to to have that such an amnesty uh, for those people who've been most implicated in the secret and the, the reason is going to be we're going to want information, and they have information. And if we're threatening them with 25 to 30 to 50 years in prison over what they've done, they're very likely not going to be cooperative with us. Uh, they're very likely not going to be uh, answering questions that the global population is going to want to know. Because the fact is that these guys, these few secret keepers, uh, have acted in a criminal way, but they also uh, have a position of, of great power in that they know things that the rest of us don't really know for sure. So um, I think in all likelihood, there's going to be an amnesty, or at least one that's offered, and it'll probably uh, grudgingly be accepted. And um, uh, look, life isn't life isn't fair. We want justice, but the fact is that we're going to have to probably see many, many political exigencies take place, compromises of various types, uh, in order to move ahead with this. Uh, this this wasn't something that came up in uh, AD After Disclosure, but I've been thinking about it since, and I really feel it's it's significant, and it, it affects what you're saying, what you're asking me here, which is that disclosure is going to put a lot of other things on the table. In other words, other conspiracies. The plot to kill JFK. Uh, 9-11. You think that won't be on the table after disclosure? Think again. That will be very much. It won't take long before people are going to recognize that, oh my God, they lied about this major thing. Guess what else they probably have been lying That's about? That's right. And so it's going to be an a politically explosive event, one after the next, where will it end? Well, the fact is, we 
you, you know, I don't think people cook much with pressure cookers anymore. Not since ever the microwaves and whatever. I, I remember being a kid. And my mom used to have a pressure cooker. Yep. And uh, you always had to be careful with those because what it would do is it would, you'd, you'd have a lot of liquid in there, and you'd, you'd seal that sucker shut, and then there'd just be this little valve on the top that would rock back and forth, letting out the steam. Uh, steam just a little bit as it built up. Right. And it's a great way to cook, nice and tender meat and all of that. But the thing about a pressure cooker, you always had to be careful because the pressure inside was intense. That's what cooked the food. And if you lifted the lid off all of a sudden you would have a, a big mess everything would flat and you'd get burned and in our society we're like that in the sense we've got an intense amount of deception of lies that have built up and it's like inside a pressure cooker and when that gets an opportunity to come out well watch out uh, you know, all societies are built on deception in one form or another, but it, it seems to me that future generations may well look back on our time right now and just be amazed, amazed at how breathtakingly deep our lies, the official lies go. That is what we would call our official truth with what the actual truth, and that discrepancy it's quite possible that that discrepancy is greater now than at any other time in our history. You really look at some of the, the things that we're supposed to believe. Uh, how long can that last? So there's going to have to be a correction. And when that takes place, I have a feeling it'll happen very suddenly all at once. And there's going to be a lot of uh, political carnage left in its wake. I like the analogy of the pressure cooker. And we have to take our one and only break, but before... I remember during the Nixon Watergate times, uh, Richard, when he started disclosing, but what he did was disclose the transcript from the tapes as opposed to releasing the tapes. So unless right. disclosure happens, full Monty disclosure, all of it, people are going to be yeah. wondering what they left sequestered. But when we come back, folks, I have so much more to talk about with Richard Dolan. I want him to take us the first second. First minute, hour, day, week, the first year after disclosure. Imagine that scenario. That's what we all want to know. The book, After Disclosure, The People's Guide to Life After Contact. How do people buy this and all of your great work, Richard? Oh, you're asking how do they get it? Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, first place I would say go to uh, – I've got two good websites. Uh, I have a publishing site called keyholepublishing.com. And I've run that for many years. That's been my personal site. But it's really now uh, a much larger just publishing site of all the books that, that I publish, including AD After Disclosure. Uh, I would also recommend that people go to the afterdisclosure.com site. Uh, Bryce and I have put that up together. And we have a, a lot of fresh material that goes up on that site every week. Uh, it really supplements uh, the themes that are in AD after disclosure. So uh, we try to keep that as a living, uh, kind of like a blog uh, journalistic site that's, um, our, we contribute to it and we have other, other writers contributing to it as well. So Keyhole Publishing has got AD after disclosure and it's also got my volumes of history available, UFOs and National Security State, and then afterdisclosure.com is our, our really kind of neat blog site. Well, folks, we have so much more to discuss with Richard Dolan. If you want to know what comes after disclosure, 
Don't go anywhere. This is Mel Fabregas, and you are listening to Veritas. We'll be right back. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. If you're not a member, just head on over to our website, veritasshow.com, and click on the subscribe link to listen to the rest of the show. As a member, have you subscribed to the iTunes link? Let iTunes download all segments of each new show automatically. There's a link in the members section. Just click on it and let iTunes do the rest. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more. Enjoy. All around me are familiar faces, worn out places, worn out faces, bright and early for the daily races, going nowhere, going nowhere, and the tears are filling up their glasses, no expression, no expression, on my head I wanna drum my sorrow, no The dreams in which I'm dying are the best I ever had I find it hard to tell you, I find it hard to take When people run in circles, it's a very, very Dr. Judy Wood, and you're listening to Veritas Radio. 